0: My name is David. Uh, keep Philippians chapter 1 open. That's where we are tonight. And I feel like I'm a bit ringy, Mitchell, but I trust that's the microphone and not me. Yep, yeah, no, it's the microphone. Let's pray as we get into God's Word. Father, we thank you again for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And we thank you tonight for the insight that we see into Paul's life. Uh, for the way that he teaches us what the purpose of our lives is to be and how to live it. Father, we ask please tonight that you would show us that Jesus is the most valuable treasure we could possibly have, that we would set our eyes on him such that he would fill us with joy and with delight and with satisfaction, and that out of that our lives would overflow into the praise of your glory and of your grace. And we ask this in Jesus. Amen. What's the purpose of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Now, I feel there's a certain age where that kind of becomes to be a question. When you're very young, you never really stop to think about that kind of thing. But even as life goes on, few of us would be able to articulate in just one sentence, what is the purpose of your life? Now, I'm still ringing at the front here, Mitch. You turn the back off for this. I don't need to hear myself and then turn the front of the house down a little bit. Thanks, mate. I feel like very few of us would be able to articulate in just one sentence, the purpose of my life is, and kind of fit it in there. What gives your life meaning? To put it a different way, if we we had to analyse your life, if we stopped and we considered where do you spend your time, where do you spend your energy, where do you spend your money, what do you spend all of your thought time about? What's your life about? To put it differently again, what brings you the greatest joy? What satisfies you? Now, perhaps it would be too difficult to pick just one thing, maybe there'd be a list. And depending on where you're at in life, perhaps that list might change, right? Maybe you're at the point of life where the highest pinnacle of achievement is to have a diamond pickaxe in Minecraft or whatever it is that you're kind of... I don't know what you do in Minecraft. Anyway, maybe it's to to advance to the next rank in competitive Call of Duty or whatever your thing is. That you Maybe it's just to get through school, to survive those years of stress and pressure. Maybe even to survive with some friends. Maybe your purpose in life... Is to get that good ATAR, to go to the good uni degree, to go into the TAFE course you want, to be able to get into the career, to be trained and educated in this particular field and then to find a job that's satisfying and fulfilling and is going to make me a lot of cash. Maybe, maybe that's your purpose. As you get older, you get married, you have kids, it becomes very easy for those things to start to fill that space, to see your spouse flourish, your children succeed and develop, perhaps to provide well for them, that they would have all the opportunities to start life well. And then as you move on further in life, perhaps your purpose even becomes to retire well and early, by which we just mean, of course, having enough cash to do whatever it is that you want to do. right? That's what we mean by retire well. Or maybe it's just none of all of these and your life is simply lived day to day, trying to get through today, hoping that tomorrow might be a little bit better. I want to suggest to you today that if our purpose in life is or includes anything other than, if it includes anything other than living to the praise of God's glory, living to the praise of God's glory, if our lives include anything else, then our Christian life will suffer. If our life is about anything other than wanting God to be seen as great, to hear, for him to be exalted, magnified, seen for who he is, if our lives include anything else as their desire and as their drive, then our Christian life is going to end up being pretty drab, dreary, dull, begrudging. For at the point where God asks anything of us, it will always be in competition with something else. Anytime God wants our time, oh man, I really wanted to do this other thing that gives my life purpose and meaning, but now I've got to go and do this thing for God instead. It will always be a competition. If our motivation is a sense of duty or whatever it is that comes out of that, just, well, it's one more thing on my list, then our Christian life will suffer and it affects all of it. It means ministry, for example, right? The opportunity to serve is just going to be one more distracting chore. Oh, I, guess I, I guess I better go on the roster. We've got to fill up the rosters, right? We've got to keep the lights on. We've got to keep the place happening. Our church gatherings are going to be flat, expressionless, just a reflection of our own private disinterest and discontent. When we even bother coming, of course, right? Because we now have competing purposes, and so if there's something else that I've got to do, well, it's just as important as God, so why would I bother letting go of it for the sake of going to church? Money becomes precious to us. It's now the means of achieving all my purposes. And so every time I've got to give money to God, it's very begrudging. Oh man, the parish councils, they're whinging about the budget again. I guess I'd better give them some money, right? But really, what I want to be doing with it is all of my things. The fight against evil in our lives becomes hard, temptation is strong. If I don't have joy in God, then I'm going to go and search for joy, well, anywhere, somewhere. Self denial. Well, I'll deny myself some things, but oh, I can't deny myself that. That's what my life is about. Evangelism becomes just one more task. There's no urgency. There's no. I mean, what are we even inviting people to? I'm only half committed to this thing called God as it is. So I'm going to invite them to what? Our conversion then is just a moment that happens at some point in the past and no real big deal, hasn't changed my life. And in the end, death then, for this sort of Christian, is a loss. Because in death, you have to leave behind that which was your purpose. You have to leave behind that which gave your life meaning. You get the sense that we've got to get this right, don't you? This matters. This affects all of our lives. And thankfully, what do you know, in Philippians chapter 1, in this passage, what a surprise, Paul is going to teach us exactly that, what the purpose of the Christian life ought to be and how to live it. At the heart of this passage is verses 20 and 21, which is where we see this teaching. The rest of the passage, if you like, it's almost an illustration from Paul's life of this very principle. So let's look at it together and let's start with these two verses, 20 and 21. What is the purpose of the Christian life? What does Paul see as the purpose of his life? Verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always... Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see what Paul is on about? Now, as always, what I want to happen in me is Christ to be exalted. Jesus, I want to cause him to be seen as great. I want to live to the praise of God's glory, to the display of his grace. I want to magnify Jesus. I want to exalt Jesus. It's a strange phrase he uses, exalt in my body. We might be used to saying, right, in my life, just as this kind of general thing, right? In my body, in what I do day to day, in the decisions that I make, in the person that I am, I want Jesus to be seen as great in life or in death. I tell you, that's a distinction that's kind of real for Paul right now. I mean, he's in jail, he's in prison, he's locked up, he's about to face at some point in the not too distant future a judge. Are they going to give him life? Are they going to kill him? I mean, it's not long before they're throwing Christians to the animals and setting them on fire and Whether I live or I die, Paul says, I want the manner in which I live and the manner in which I die to cause Jesus to be seen as great. To not be ashamed at the end. Is that your purpose? Is that your purpose in life? A single-minded desire that in everything you do, And in everything you are, Jesus would be seen as great. Now, don't misunderstand me, right? I'm not saying we've got to get rid of those other things, right? I'm not saying you've got to adopt out your kids or uh, quit your job or delete Call of Duty, although. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but right. I'm not, I'm not saying you've got to... Th- these are good things in and of themselves, but consider for a moment the difference between living for that and living for Jesus as you engage in that. You've got to work, and if your career is your work, is your purpose in life, then you're just going to get consumed by it. But if your purpose is to cause Jesus to be seen as great, then well, you're going to work hard, you're going to share the gospel, you're going to rejoice in Jesus as you go, you're going to do whatever you can at your job, that everybody around you will say, wow, Jesus is great. You get the difference? Now, it's almost—it's—it's it's one of those ideas that's almost too big to comprehend. Because any little bit of your life that you want to think about, this starts to filter through and change it. Thankfully, Paul tells us how to do it. All right, verse 21. For... Paul begins, right? This is the reason why. This is how I want to go about doing it. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's not a bad memory verse. You've already learnt it. Anyone say Philippians one twenty one? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. All right, excellent. You already know it. The hardest bit of that is remembering Philippians one twenty one. This is how you do it. To live or to die, in life or in death, Jesus be exalted. Now how do we do it in life? To live is Christ. That's how you do it. To have your life be all about the Lord Jesus. Now, at this point, there's a danger because it's possible for us to start wandering back down that path of thinking of Jesus as a harsh taskmaster and us as his slaves. And to say to live his Christ means that I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to do whatever he tells me, whether I enjoy it or not, whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not. I just got to suck it up and bear the burden of Jesus being my master and my life being about him. And there's no joy and there's just bitterness in the Christian life. It makes me think, uh, of the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Anyone remember him? We know the, the parable, right? The younger son, the younger one, comes to his dad and says, give me my inheritance. He gets the money, he goes, he blows it all. He finally remembers, oh yeah, dad's good. He comes home, he gets forgiven. right? We remember that bit of the story. But the older brother, he's still there. Do you remember what he does at the end of the story? He comes up to his dad and he says, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've done everything you ever told me and not once did you give me even a little cow to celebrate with my friends. He's just bitter. All he can think of is a slave and his master. There's no joy in him. Now, that's not what it means when Paul says to live is Christ, quite clearly in Paul's case. What he means is this. Turn over to chapter 3 in verse 8. Uh, Sam's going to preach on this passage in a few months, but... I'm going to steal his thunder. Sorry, Sam, he's not here. Even better. <laughs> this is what it means for Paul when he says to live is Christ. We'll go from verse 7. Whatever was to my prophet, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Do you hear what Paul considers Jesus? The single greatest, most precious, most valuable treasure there is. I'll lose it all and gain Christ and consider that a win. When Jesus becomes the most precious thing we have in our lives, then we will live to the praise of God's glory and grace. When we delight in Jesus above all else, when we are satisfied with him, when he's enough for us, take all else away and give me Jesus and I'm still content, I'm still satisfied, I can still rejoice, then we will live to the praise of God's glory and grace. We know it. We know how it works. The thing that you re- enjoy, the thing that you love, the thing that you desire most, you can't help but praise it. You can't help but tell other people about it. You think about for a moment what was the last thing that you said to somebody? Oh man, I really, this was amazing. You've you got to. It's the thing you love. The thing you delight in, the thing you desire. The world is full of praise. I'm married to a beautiful woman, right? She's smart, she's talented, she's strong. I, I love her, and I love praising her. She fills me with joy, and so I speak of her. My children are a delight to me, right? They're gifted and talented. Well, at least the older two are. The younger one just mushes food on his face. But let's get right. Like, let's just. I love they're beautiful. I love building things. I built a TV cabinet recently, and the first thing I did was take a photo of it and send it to some friends. Look and check this out! Isn't it awesome? I love this thing. On Wednesday night, we um we got to be a part of the Christmas concert at Ingleburn Public School. Is anyone there? You went the. yeah? Oh, well, the teacher was there and the band was there. Awesome, right? That's good. Just as well you guys were. Uh, we, we Joe dobbed us in. He said we can come and do a couple of songs. So part of the carols band went, and uh, and and just about two two or three songs before we were due to go up, we realised we'd made a mistake. We we realised that the first song we were about to do was the song that the school was about to do immediately before us. So they would have done the song, and then we would have gotten up and been like hey, we're going to do that now, and it's just awkward, right? And so we're we're doing this little huddle with kind of five minutes to go, what are we going to do? We we can't do this song. We've got the book open. What's another one we can do? And we, We ended up picking a song that there is no way we would have chosen otherwise. Just the way we were thinking, there's no possible way that we would have chosen this song beforehand. And so as the band's playing and I'm walking around and we just hear the vocals with crystal clarity, just an angel singing across the crowd. Oh, holy night. Do you know the song? Fall on your knees before the King of Kings. I mean, it's just, it was the gospel blasting out to this crowd. And I'm thinking, man. I mean, God clearly wanted us to preach the gospel instead of sing Aussie Jingle Bells. I mean, I don't know why he would want that. But anyway, clearly that's what God wanted to happen. And I'm just, oh, this is so good. I got home. Do you know what the first thing I did was? I got on Facebook and I said, oh, you wouldn't believe what just happened. I've got to share my joy with you. My delight. We praise that which we love. The the Presbyterians got it right at this point, I think. Uh, Maybe they got other things wrong. I don't know. I don't really know much about Presbyterians. They have these things called catechisms, which are ways of learning theology with a question and an answer. They're pretty good. The most famous one of them is, what is the chief end of man? Anybody know the answer? Who wasn't here this morning? What is the chief end of man? You're all good Anglicans. Excellent. Right. Here's the answer The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Is that what Ria said? Good man. Closet Presbyterian. Right. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, those aren't two separate things. It's not one or the other. They're not time-bound things. Enjoy God, then glorify him, glorify him. then They are intertwined. As we glorify God, we will enjoy him all the more. And as we enjoy him all the more, we glorify him all the more. The way to live such that your life causes Jesus to be seen as great is to know Jesus as the greatest treasure you could ever possibly have to value Him above everything else, to be satisfied in Him like you are in nothing else, to find joy in Him like nothing else brings you. And that will overflow into the glory of God. John Piper puts it like this. There's a little catchy phrase that he uses. He says, God is most glorified in us God is most glory. This is what we want, right? God's glory is what we want. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now, God is glorified at the cross of Jesus Christ as his son dies and takes our sin. And he is glorified in our lives as we take hold of that treasure and allow it to fill us. That is how we achieve our purpose in life. To live is Christ, Paul says. Well, how do we do it in death? Again, verse 21. To me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a loony. I mean, Who thinks of death? As gain. Well, you want to know how it is that Jesus will be caused to be seen as great in your life in your death? When you add up all the things you will lose by dying, let me think for a moment what would you lose if you died now? I'd I'd lose my marriage, I'd lose my children. I'd lose the opportunity of seeing them grow up and develop and maybe marry themselves and grandkids and all that kind of stuff. I'd lose my ministry to you and to the greater parish of Glen Quarry Burn, Mingle Burn, whatever, whatever this new big thing is called. I'd lose my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations for the future, all gone. I'd lose the opportunity to see my sister get married. Right? She got engaged yesterday. Isn't that exciting? Right? i, I Okay, add all of that up. And in return, give me only death and Christ. And if at that point you can say, gain, I came out ahead, then Christ is glorified in your dying. When you can take away the whole world, when you can lose everything and gain only Christ and consider that gain, then he will be magnified in your life. Christ is glorified in you. When he is more precious to you, than all life can give or death can take. Now it turns our motivation right around, doesn't it? Because it's no longer this duty, this burden that we have to, oh, Christian living... For now, our lives as Christians are the pursuit of our greatest happiness as we seek to glorify God. If he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him, then the pursuit of his glory is the pursuit of our satisfaction and delight and joy that will overflow into the praise of his name. It's why Paul's life was the way it was. I mean, this guy, he's in chains, he's in prison, he's locked up. And what does he say? Brilliant. You beauty, he says. I rejoice. Because he's so captivated by the Lord Jesus. He so loves Jesus that all he sees, he doesn't see chains and hardship. He sees Jesus is being preached. How good is this? I mean, look back at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, look at this, this illustration of the point. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. How good is that, he says. I've been locked up and because of where they locked me up, guess what, all the palace guards now know about Jesus. How else are they going to hear? And it's not only me, but because of my change, verse 14, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak. They go about it courageously and fearlessly. In fact, there's even some people who are preaching Jesus to try and stir trouble up for me, says Paul.
1: How good is that?
0: Because Jesus is being preached. I don't care if it's trouble for me. What my life is about is to make God be exalted, to cause Jesus to be seen as great. If that's going to bring me trouble, well, so be it. That's neither he nor there. In fact, as he thinks about his future life, am I going to live, am I going to die? He thinks, well, it's necessary for your joy, for your progress in the faith, so I guess I'm going to have to keep on living, even though for me to die is better. I get to go and be with Jesus. He wants their progress and joy in faith. And so he concludes in 26, that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's what a life looks like, where Jesus is your greatest treasure. Have you found him? Have you found this treasure? Can you look into your heart and into your life and say, Jesus is more precious to me than anything else. He's more satisfying to me than anything else. He brings me more joy than anything else. I'm not asking whether you go to church or you've, you've prayed the prayer or you believe the doctrines or whatever else it is. Have you found the greatest treasure? Like that man in the story Jesus taught who, who was digging in a field, a farmer digging in a field and he finds a treasure and in his joy he, he buries it back up, he went and sold everything he had so that he could come back and buy the field and have the treasure. Are you ready to let it all go that you might have Jesus? Or is he just marginal? Is, he just, is one more thing in the mix? It's just one more, sometimes, sometimes not. It changes everything. When our motivation becomes our joy in the Lord Jesus, when he becomes our treasure and not a harsh taskmaster, it changes how we think about all of our Christian lives. It changes how we think about ministry, like the opportunity to serve one another. It's no longer just this distracting burden, a chore, I, I guess I can give up an hour a week of my time to get on the roster, whatever. It now becomes an opportunity to bring Jesus before others, to encourage them in the pursuit of their joy in Jesus. The treasure now shapes us in a small way, whatever opportunity is that we have to do, to do as Paul did for them, desiring that their joy would overflow. Our church gatherings are going to change. Full of the delight that we have in the Lord Jesus. Our individual joy in Jesus. We all bring that together and we express it together. I love Jesus. He satisfies me and gives me great joy. And you come and you say, I love Jesus too. He satisfies me and gives me great joy. And together we're just, yes. Isn't he a treasure worth having? And we sing his praises because that's what flows when you enjoy something, when you love something, you praise it. And we hear his word as he feeds us and refreshes us and renews us, puts the face of Jesus before us again to say, that is the treasure that you must hold on to. It changes how we think about money. I mean, Jesus was right, what a surprise, when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? God loves a cheerful giver money, our our wealth, all that we are and have, now becomes part of our delight in Jesus, part of our desire to see him praised. If I can use my money in such a way that will cause Jesus to be seen as great, then is that not the best use for it? And in fact, isn't that something that will bring me joy and delight? As he is praised, as he is glorified, I'm satisfied in him. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, then understand that your joy will only increase and expand as you use your wealth for the growth of his kingdom. Now make, make your own day. It changes how we think about fighting evil and sin. If, if the best strategy that we can come up with to fight against sin is just a bunch of rules, right? No, 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 no. Bad, 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 bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that okay, you can do that, don't do that, don't do that. Right? If, that if that's just to summon up your willpower and uh, fight against it, don't do it today, just don't do it, we're going to fail. We're up against the power of sin and Satan and the world. They're not going to let go easy. If all we have is that, well, but if what we have is this precious, precious Lord, whom we delight in, when we find our joy in, who satisfies us, then when evil comes knocking, it's, it's, what have you got to offer me? I've seen Jesus. I have Jesus. You can't have me greed. You can't have me lust. You can't have me anger and despair. And You can't have me. I have Jesus, the greatest treasure of all. When evil comes knocking, we see it for the putrid well that it is for we are connected to the living stream. It changes how we think of self-denial. Christian self-denial is a very strange thing because all that Jesus asks you to give up, the only thing he asks is everything. <laughs> That's it, just give up everything. right? Pick, pick up the electric chair or the hangman's noose or whatever your, your favourite metaphor for execution is. right? Pick up your cross die to yourself just give up who you are and come and follow me that's all but in return i will give you something so much greater don't grab of the don't grab hold of the things that are going to kill you is what jesus says and come and grab hold of life deny your sin and your flesh and gain something so much better so in the end christian self denial is well Let go of the bad so that Jesus will give us something so much greater in himself. It changes evangelism. It's now no longer a burden. It's no longer a task forced upon us. But it's the person who has the treasure and wants to share it. I love Jesus. I delight in Jesus. I rejoice in Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Think about the thing that you... Just enjoy the most right now, except for Jesus, because you're a good Christian, so Jesus is first. But then the thing that you enjoy the most other than Jesus, how often do you talk about it? I mean, I can, I can carry on for a while about the things that I enjoy and the things that I love. I just try and stop me. I'm going to talk about them. It's no longer an invitation to come and join into this kind of uh something. It's an invitation to come and share and participate in that which satisfies above all else. It's no longer just a beggar. Sorry, it is now a beggar telling another beggar not just where to find a loaf of bread, but where to find a bountiful banquet. And we don't have to be stingy. Don't be worried that in sharing the treasure, there's going to be a little bit less for you. You ever felt that way? I've got something really good and I'm not going to share it. I mean, this isn't mine. I'm not going to... I have an occasion been known to share a box of chocolates after taking the Turkish delight out. Just saying, right? This is a treasure that doesn't run out. This is a treasure that we can share with everybody and still we will be satisfied in him. It changes how we think of our conversion. That's not just a moment back there somewhere that did something and, oh, look, it's in the past now. It's a story that I tell every three years whenever I give my testimony, right? For now our conversion is to receive the greatest treasure to receive the one who is worth losing everything to gain. It is now a reorienting of that which we find our joy in away from all else towards the Lord Jesus. And so in the end it changes death. For death for the Christian is now gain. I'm going to lose everything but gain Christ. I mean, that's bargain, right? If we live this way, if we die this way, so Jesus will be caused to be seen as great in our lives. Is that the purpose of your life? It's been a hard week for me, I'll be honest with you. A lot of self-reflection. Thinking about who I am and what I do, what I delight in, what satisfies me. Am I seeking, moment by moment, do I have this single-minded desire to exalt Christ in my body, either in life or in death? Having him as my greatest treasure. Knowing that if I lose everything else, it is still gain, for he is mine and I am his. Rejoicing in him, satisfied in him. And my prayer is that that, as that takes hold in our life, so too for us, as for the Philippians, our joy in Christ will overflow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death, for our sin, brought back to new life, offered now to us by your spirit transformed to be your people by your spirit given new hearts that no longer cling on to the old self but are now transformed to love you. Father, give us all joy and peace in believing that we would truly find Jesus to be supremely satisfying, to fill us with joy. And Father, we ask that this would be so true and real in our lives that we will not stop praising you, speaking of that which we delight in, all to the praise of your glory and your grace. Amen. We're going to sing, uh, in fact, we're going to sing a prayer uh, undivided, our desire to live single mindedly for Jesus.